Okay. Hi. Get up, get up. No, okay. Uh, first of all, two things. One, how many guys were hooked here at Plymouth? Okay. When you guys started jumping on stage, I suddenly realized I have PTSD. Because at night one at Hooked, I caused a riot with a bunch of grade school children, and they nearly killed a shark. Um, so that happened. Uh, also, too, how many of you guys, when Bryson put down the guitar, did you guys, I thought he was going to dive into you. You guys thinking there was a stage dive that was going to happen? Maybe Friday. I don't know. Maybe if I get going with my lesson, Jacob, can you catch me? No. All right. You guys ever see Dirty Dancing? It's like the, the lift thing at the end there. I can't recommend that you watch that movie. Anyways. Hey, uh... <laughs> Man, what a night. I think it's because we handed out Chick-fil-A cookies. There's one on the stage right here. But you guys were awesome tonight. Um, and we, we aren't done. Um, we, are we going to do one more when I'm done for real? You guys going to come back up and do another one? All right, sounds good, sounds good. Hey, let's get into the lesson, though. We are doing Catalyst. Uh, this is our series from now until camp, which, by the way, camp is less than two weeks away. All right. If you are not signed up, I've got good news and bad news. Good news, you can still go. Bad news is there are 110 seats on the bus, and we've got 101 of them filled. There's nine spots left. I'm going to be at Lion on Sunday. If you go to Lion and you haven't signed up, I'm going to be at Plymouth the next Sunday before we leave. If you haven't signed up, I will have my laptop ready. Uh, we want everybody to go. And here's the thing. Even if we fill it up, you can just stand on top of the bus. I don't care. We'll get you there somehow. All right. Uh, but I'm excited. But Catalyst is what we're talking about. And I'll get right into it. Um, man, I'm sweating tonight. Like I sweat a lot just because I'm fat. But now I'm sweating because of energy. All right. So um, last week, my sons, speaking of sweating, my sons were in Miami, and uh, since they went on a vacation together, me and my wife and my daughter, we went out to the movies, and uh, I noticed a lot of people were wearing pink when we showed up at the movie theater, and it, my wife wouldn't let me, um, like dad jokes started forming in my brain, and she would not, I desperately wanted to walk up to these two guys who were wearing pink suits, head to toe, just walk up to me and be like, hey, what movie are you seeing? And they wouldn't, my wife would not let me do it. Um, and I guess it's, it's fine, but if Barbie has taught me anything in this life, uh, first of all, she has not taught me anything, but if she has taught me anything, it's that with this Barbie movie, we might be done with superhero movies. Here's, here's why I say that. The Barbie movie. How many of you guys have seen the Barbie movie? Has anyone seen it, some of you? How many of you guys dressed up and went to see the Barbie movie? Okay, a couple of you. Joey, is your hand up? Yeah. Interesting, okay, all right. The Barbie movie came out in its opening weekend, it made more money than Guardians of the Galaxy did in its opening weekend, than Ant-Man, than the Spider-Man movie. I think superhero movies might be like on their way out, which stinks for me, because I'm a superhero movie guy. I like all of them. And the reason why I bring that up is because as I was thinking about catalysts, and uh, if you're not familiar with science class or weren't here last week, a catalyst is something that is introduced to an environment and it causes change. And I was reminded of a very specific superhero uh, when I was thinking about catalysts. Let's put the first picture on the screen. This guy's name is Bruce Banner. And when gamma rays were introduced into his life, he turned into this guy, the Incredible Hulk. That is what a catalyst is, is the thing that caused him to change from one thing to another. And it was quick. If you've seen the movies, of course, you know it happens in a matter of seconds. He turns mad, or he, he gets mad, he turns into the Hulk, Hulk smash, all that stuff, all right? There's a lot of catalysts that cause quick 
instant change. Last week I told you about Diet Coke and Mentos. I don't know if you went home and tried it. I would encourage you one more time to go home, buy some Diet Coke, buy a pack of Mentos, and walk up to your mom right in the living room and say, watch this, and then drop them in. It's a lot of fun. So, um, but there's a lot of catalysts that, that are like that, a distinct before and after situation. Before is mild-mannered Dr. Bruce Banner. After, he's the incredible Hulk, and his shirt rips off, and he's rippling with muscles and all this stuff. So as we talk about our faith, though, and as I was thinking about that, I wonder, as we talk about how faith changes us, how many of us think that faith changing us is kind of like the Hulk, where we think it's this instant, huge transformation? I want you guys to raise your hands real quick. Now, in the notes that I, I was originally writing, we use the phrase faith story. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase testimony? You know what a testimony is as it relates to Christianity, all right? So we know what a testimony is. Your testimony is your story, how you came to know Jesus. When you met Jesus, maybe it was here at Miles City, uh, maybe it was at, at church camp, maybe it was somewhere else, but that's our testimony, all right? And, and how many of you guys have heard someone share a testimony before? Hands, all right, all over the room. We've all heard someone's testimony before. But what I think, if we're being honest, we think about all the different stories we've heard. For most people, they don't meet Jesus, they don't hear about Jesus for the very, very first time, and their life just explodes into a drastically different life. For a lot of us, the change is gradual. Maybe you started coming to church, or you've always been going to church and it took years or weeks or months to finally start paying attention. And then he started praying a little bit. And then he started thinking about it. And then you prayed and you gave your life to Jesus. And I don't know, maybe stop cussing or something like that. And it's just gradual changes, but Jesus is changing us. And sometimes we think that that change isn't good enough. We think that the change that Jesus puts in our life should be like the Incredible Hulk. Well, why am I still struggling with this? Why do I still suffer from this? Why do I still find my way back to this sin that I should be done with? And we beat ourselves up over it. You know, most of our stories are not these insane, immediate transformations. When we talk about God's power to transform us, the picture we sometimes paint is a little too extreme for reality. Now, I, I don't want to diminish God's life-changing power because the song we just sang says, get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave because we believe and we serve in a God who can bring people out of graves. There's not much more change you can make than going from dead to alive. And if you don't know that story, go to John chapter 11. Go ahead and read that. We're not reading it tonight. But that's what God can do. And so sometimes we struggle because we want God to do the miraculous, the big, the powerful, when really all God is doing is just pushing us a little bit further and a little bit farther. You know, sometimes I wonder, though, when I was your age, I struggled because I would hear people share their stories, and I thought my story was boring in comparison. I remember we went to like this youth rally where all these different churches came together and they got this speaker and he came up and he talked about he had been addicted to drugs, he had been in prison and out of prison, he had been uh, like, like a car thief, he was in gangs and all this stuff and God got a hold of his life and God changed his life and he became a pastor and a preacher and all this stuff and I'm like, that's incredible and my story sucks compared to that. And I just thought my story was boring because like I didn't do all these big crazy things but can I tell you, if you've ever wondered like that, well, why don't I have these big, crazy events? If anything, it might be a blessing. It's good that you haven't gone to jail. It's good that you haven't had to hit such lows that God picked you up out of that pit. For some people, dropping Jesus into their life seems like it results in an obvious and immediate change. But for a lot of us, it's not obvious, it's not immediate, and it's slow. But it's still change, and that's what we need to talk about. You know, I've been following Jesus for 26 years. Jesus said in John chapter three that to know him, we must be born again. 
What that means is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, I believe that you have a second birthday. I call it my spiritual birthday. I know when I got saved, I remember it. You might remember the date, you might not. You might say, oh, I was a little kid. That's cool, whatever. You don't have to know the date. I do. July 10th, 1997 is when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was at summer camp, just like we're getting ready to go to in a couple weeks. I was a senior in high school. I was sick of it. I was done playing games. I was a fake for a couple years, and I said, you know what? Enough. I went and found a counselor. I asked him to pray with me, and I gave Jesus my life right then and there. I've been a Jesus follower for over 26 years now. Can I tell you something? It has not always been perfect. It has not always been this close relationship with me and Jesus. From that day, it hasn't felt like Jesus is right by my side. There are times when he feels distant to me. There are times when it feels like God is far away. There are times when I've prayed and I haven't got the answer I've wanted. And there are times that you might be in right now where you feel like, yeah, you're in church. You see everybody else jumping up and down and you don't get it because it's like, well, I don't feel that way. Why is everyone else so excited about something I'm not excited about? And there might be times in your life where you feel like God is distant, where you don't feel close to him. What I would tell you first is that God is closer than you think that he is. Just because you don't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. But also, we go through times like that. I don't know what your faith is right now. Maybe you are on fire for Jesus. If so, keep it up. Maybe you don't know Jesus tonight. If so, I'd love to talk to you one-on-one. Or maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what, my faith is not where it should be, and I just don't feel God in my life. If that's where you're at, just keep listening. If you've ever wanted to have a relationship with God, or how you can really know God is real, or, or what to do when God feels distant, you're not alone, all right? And not just alone in this room, alone when we open up the Bible, alone when we read the scriptures. We see people who we think of as heroes and, and mighty, mighty warriors of the faith, and they still struggle too. Last week we talked about the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We're gonna stay in Hebrews tonight, a book that has a lot to say about faith, uh, because holding our faith, holding on to our faith can feel pretty difficult when we feel far from God. I wanna show you a passage in Hebrews that has something to say about that. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So I put two, past, two parts of that in yellow. High priest, hold firmly. Let's talk about the second part first. The Bible is saying, hold firmly to what you believe. That's pretty obvious. We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on that other than if you feel like your faith is slipping, hold on tight. Even if you can only find a little bit of it, grab it and hold on tight. Hold on tight to your faith. I think that should make sense to you, right? Like, yeah, okay, hold on to my faith. But what about this high priest part? This is the part that you might read and be like, I don't get that. We have a great high priest. So to understand that, we have to know what it was like for people when the Bible was being written. See, the book of Hebrews wasn't written for you and me in mind. The person who wrote Hebrews didn't say, you know what, 2,000 years from now in Plymouth, Michigan, there's gonna be a crowd of kids that really need to hear this. No, they wrote this for specific people and we just happened to get to read it. And the specific people they wrote it for were the people of Israel. And I'm gonna lay it out for you a little bit. It's a little bit of a history lesson. Sorry if it's boring. I think it's pretty exciting when we tie it all together though. Throughout much of Israel's history, God communicated with his people through priests, right? And so when we, when we read high priests, it might not mean a whole lot to us. Maybe if you grew up Catholic, you know a priest holds a whole, totally different meaning to you. But to the people who read this at the time, they knew what a high priest was because in the Old Testament, when God communicated with people, he would use the priests. And there's priests of different levels. There's like entry-level priests, you know, like second level, third level. And the highest position you could get was that of the high priest. 
And here's where it gets really crazy. See, we can pray and we can, we can call on Jesus, but they couldn't do that just yet because Jesus hadn't come into the world. Things were very, very different. Here's how you had to, to establish relationship with God. You had to make sacrifices. You had to offer up different things. But most of us weren't holy enough. Most people weren't considered clean enough to do it. Only the high priest could do it. So this one guy, and I'm not saying I'm, that, I'm holy enough, but I'm saying since I'm on stage, I'll play the role of high priest. I had to take all your offerings, all your sacrifices, and I had to enter into the temple, into this specific room that no one could go in called the Holy of Holies. And it was just this room that was separated by a curtain. And it was so holy because the presence of God was in there that if you weren't worthy of being in the presence of God, if you stepped into the Holy of Holies, you'd drop dead. So first of all, I think being a high priest is a risky job. So the high priest would have to go in, and it was so, when I say drop dead, it was so literal that when the high priest was preparing to enter into the Holy of Holies, he would have to take a rope and tie it around his waist, and the rope was covered with bells. You can read about this in Exodus, it lays out, and the rope was covered with bells because when he would enter behind the curtain, Nobody could watch him. Nobody could do anything. They just had to listen for the bells and hope that he was worthy enough to be in the presence of God. And as long as they could hear the bells moving, the priest was alive. If the bells stopped moving and they heard a thud, guess what happened? The high priest wasn't holy enough and he's dead. Well, guess what? You can't just walk in and get his body. You're dead too. So they had to use the rope to literally pull him out. Thank God church isn't like that anymore. We got a curtain right there, and we could all go behind it if we want to. Now, Sean is here. Please do not go behind the curtain. There's a lot of expensive stuff back there. But if you go back there, you won't die immediately. Someone might kill you for breaking some equipment, but you won't die immediately. That's what it was like back then. Only the high priest could establish that relationship with God. But it says, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. Our high priest is Jesus, the Son of God. We still have a high priest. His name is Jesus. And here's what's really, really cool about that. The big separating line, the big dividing line between regular people like you and me and God was this curtain, right? Let's read a different verse. The curtain was the barrier. It separated people from God. Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. If you don't know the context, Jesus has just died on the cross. It says, then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn and all of a sudden, everyone had access to God. When Jesus died for you, it was so we didn't have to go through these rituals of putting on ropes and hoping somebody could pay the price for me. Jesus said, I'll pay the price for everybody. I'm gonna rip that curtain in half so anyone who wants to come to God can do it through me. That's what our high priest did for us. When Jesus laid down his life, it was so that we would never have to deal with curtains again. We could go directly to God through Jesus, our high priest. His death was the catalyst that tore the curtain in half. And because of him, we can finally all be close to God. So let's go back to Hebrews uh, 4, uh, pick up the first verse. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And that's why we can hold on to it, because we know what Jesus did for us. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What this verse goes on to say is we serve a high priest who has paid the price for us, who has torn the, torn the curtain in half and we can go to him because when we struggle, when we fail, when we sin, he understands us. Jesus never sinned, but he knows what the temptation of sin feels like, which is interesting to me. He never made the mistakes that I made, but he understands what I was thinking and what I was feeling before I made them. He just made a better choice than me. Guys, I know sometimes God feels far away. Maybe he does to you right now, I don't know. I know sometimes it feels like our lives, our lives aren't changing as immediately or as dramatically as we thought they would, but no matter how things feel, I want you to know, can you see what's true? Even if you don't feel like God is near, he is. Jesus is here. The temple is not a thing we have to deal with anymore. The curtain is torn, and God is not confined to a room. And here's what's cool. We can experience God in here, but you don't have to come here to experience God. You can experience him at home, on the car ride, out in the lobby while we're playing limbo. I don't know, that might have been a holy moment for you. I thought it was a holy crap moment when some of you fell down. But, you know, we can experience him everywhere now. We don't have to go to a specific place and pay a certain price and do this and do that and do that and hope that maybe we're good enough. Jesus said, Father, they're not gonna be able to pay the price. Let me do it for them. And he did because our high priest knows what we go through. Before Jesus, our relationship with God had never been so personal, but Jesus brought God closer than he's ever been by giving all of us access to his love and his grace. So if you doubt God's ability to change things, understand that Jesus changed the world as we know it. He changed how we dealt with God. He changed how we worshiped God. He changed how we encountered God. He changed how we approached God. Jesus already did all that. Jesus is the catalyst for a new relationship with God. Because of him, God is close to you right now. And again, you might not feel that. Maybe you're still frustrated because even though you believe in Jesus and you have a relationship with God, he still seems far away. I get it, I've been there before. Sometimes it doesn't matter what I say. Sometimes it doesn't matter what the music sounds like. You're just gonna feel distant, I get that. Or maybe your life before Jesus doesn't seem all that different from your life after Jesus. Can I tell you that just because you don't feel Christ or just because you don't see Christ working in your life doesn't mean that he's not doing it. He's written on every page of your life. He's the author of our life. He's the author of our faith. Every part of our life, Christ can be found in it. And sometimes he's really hard to find. I get it. Sometimes not so much. And the reason for that is because Jesus wants you to seek him. I think that Jesus doesn't come out like big and booming and make himself super known in our lives because he wants us to actually look for him sometimes. Um, have you guys ever heard of a book called Where's Waldo? You guys do the Where's Waldo books? It's, I love reading it. I read, I read really good. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. I know there's words, but I've never read a word. So if you've never heard of Where's Waldo, it's a giant book. And there's a guy named Waldo. And on every page... You gotta find him. That's all it is. Where's Waldo? And it is really hard sometimes. 
Like I say that as a grown man, it's a children's book. And sometimes I, was, I remember when my kids were little, I'd be like, let's find Waldo, guys. And I'd look for like eight minutes. I'd be like, he ain't here. He's, we got a misprint, man. This is a, a busted book. This is why I don't like reading. And then my five-year-old would be like, I found him, daddy. I'm like, oh, okay, good, all right. Can I tell you something? Even when you can't find him, he's on every page. And here's the cool thing about Where's Waldo is once you find him once, you can go back to that page again and find him a little quicker and then a little quicker and then you just look really smart, like boom, right there, lower left-hand corner. In fact, I had a friend named Danny once, not the smartest guy in the world. He took a, a marker and circled Waldo on all the pages of my kids' books. I'm like, Danny, that's not what you're supposed to do. But he made it super easy for my kids to find Waldo. <laughs> Here's why I say that. Waldo's on every page. Even when you can't find him, even when there's a million other things that distract you, even when there's so much stuff to look at and you can't seem to find him, even when he's hidden behind every little thing, and sometimes all you see is his, is his dumb glasses in his hat. But he's there. In the same way, Jesus is in your life right now, even if he's so stinking hard to find. There might be so much stuff going on in your life right now. There might be so much mess, so much drama, so much pain, so much hurt, so much sin that you say, he's not here. Can I tell you something? You've got to keep looking. He's there. And once you find him, then when you go back and look again, you'll find him a little easier and a little easier and a little easier. And eventually it gets to a point where like all that stuff is just noise. And you're like, I know exactly where to find him. That's what a relationship with Christ looks like. When we say Jesus is the catalyst for a new relationship with God, we mean two things. One, Jesus permanently changed things for everybody. Jesus changed things for the world. But on top of that, Jesus is still changing our relationship with him. And that's a great thing. Sometimes he transforms our lives in big, obvious, incredible Hulk-type ways. But most of the time, the changes that Jesus makes in our life are small, are subtle, but they're always important. So I want you to take stock of your life tonight. I'm gonna to close in a word of prayer in just a second. And I want you to consider, where is my life different? Where do I need to see change in my life? Where am I struggling to find change in my life? Take a good look, picture it like Waldo. You know, your friends, your enemies, your parents, your, your youth group, all, it's all on the page, right? The sins that you're struggling with that you just can't seem to get over. The drama that's going on in your life. The, 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 the nastiness, all the good stuff, it's all there. Can you find Jesus in the mess? Can I tell you something? He's there. You've just got to keep looking because Jesus is our catalyst for a new relationship with God. Do you want a new relationship with God? You've got to go through Jesus. If you're here tonight and you've never done that, I wanna tell you it's really, really easy. And the reason why it's easy is not because of how good you are, it's because of how good Jesus is. He did everything for us. He did all the work at the cross when he died a perfect death and paid the price for our sins and he went into the grave and he stayed dead, he stayed buried for a couple days and at the third day he rose again. And when he came out of that tomb, all that sin that he took off of us stayed in the grave. Sin is dead, Jesus is alive. You can clap for that, that's good news. That is great news. You might have sin in your life right now, and you might say, I've got sin that I just keep doing and I can't get rid of. I want you to understand, you're serving a dead God. Serve the living God. His name is Jesus, and you can find him if you keep looking. Do you need a relationship with him for the first time? Find him tonight. Do you need to reset your relationship with him? Do it tonight. Do you need to find him through all the junk? If you need someone to help look, 
Talk to me, talk to a leader, but get it done tonight before we go home. I'm gonna pray, and I guess we're gonna sing some more, all right? Uh, and then we're gonna do some announcements after that because we're not done tonight. We've got something else in store for you. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. We love you because you are our high priest, Jesus. Thank you for tearing the curtain in half so that we don't have to go through all these, these crazy things. We don't have to put on ropes and bells and make sacrifices and, and just hope and hope and hope that you're happy with us. Because of you, Jesus, we know that you love us. We know that we are forgiven. We know that you offer grace. We know that you offer mercy. God, I ask you right now to speak to the hearts of any student who might not know that. Speak to the hearts of the kids right now who need to know they're forgiven for what they're doing. Speak to the kids right now who need to know you're there because they can't shake the thoughts in their mind. Because depression, anxiety, sin, shame looms large. They're not seeing you, Jesus. Show yourself to them tonight. God, we ask you to show us who you are in Jesus and move us towards you. Help us find you in the mess of our life, in the busyness in our, of our life, and in the center of the pages of every chapter of our life. Let us find you. We thank you, we love you, and we offer up these praises to you. In your name, Jesus, amen.